0: sales development continues to grow in importance as a critical component of a successful go-to-market strategy. And with the explosion of new tools, technology, and processes, the sales sales development development industry industry itself is thriving, as seen with the growth of the 10-Bound sales development market map over at 10bound.com. On this podcast, we'll dive deep and go beyond sales development to think about the future of technology, processes, and tools in the industry with our host, Noted futurist author and sales development practitioner justin michael welcome to beyond sales development tune in each week and be sure to hit subscribe leave a comment and turn on notifications to never miss an episode and now beyond Beyond Sales sales development with your host justin michael
1: everyone. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. I have the Aaron Ross on the show. Super excited. How are you, Aaron?
2: Yeah, happy to be here. Excellent.
1: Well, I'm a huge fan of your work, as are many others listening here. And uh, for today, I just wanted to crack right into it and talk about just this glut of technology that we're seeing for all sellers who are now potentially remote. And they have all these different technology systems. And it's sort of like you know, what do we do and how do we be effective? And just so curious to get your viewpoints and utility tips.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and too, I think as you've been a big proponent of all this technology and that's the amount we have, is just going to keep multiplying over the years. Right? And I don't know, people have done studies. So maybe if, I'm just going to make up some numbers, but five years ago, if there were 2000 sales apps and today there might be 10,000 sales apps. And in five years there'll be 50,000 sales apps. and you know, five years ago, people were using on average like three apps for their job. And now it's like 10, right? So the, the number of apps that are out there is going to go up. The number of apps we use is going to go up. And also what that means is, and of course on the marketing side, it's the same. Uh, what that means is too, all the recipients of messaging are getting bombarded in more channels with more messages, whether it's email, WhatsApp, LinkedIn, social media, da, 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 da. So there's this exponential. Explosion of, of content and options and noise. So that's not something that, that's just going to happen. So consequently, I, I find myself going back to the, the ever increasing importance of being more in tuned and empathetic and targeted with who you're, like who you're, what you're doing into who and for why. And just kind of the more technology grows, the more we have to grow our humanity too in different ways.
1: I love that as a theme. So one thing I've been trying to do is push sequencing as tier two or tier three, which in a way, almost like why have a tier two or tier three, but I do have these cool stacks I can use on the one-to-one. I'm trying to seek hyper-personalization, things right now that a machine can't do. But then I read studies like Jeremy Donovan at Sales Loft, where only about 20%. There's some kind of Pareto rule of how much needs to be personalized.
2: <laughs> Before it seems like stalking, I think. yeah. I look- let me just sorry that I'm gonna, I'm just going to catch off for a second. So Jeremy Donovan, SVP Sales Loft, has said that basically the, the best performance is when you personalize 20% of your email. If you do more personalization of the email, then the de- performance decreases. There's a lot of reasons for that. I think one example is when people over personalize, they probably just take proven structures and they just mess them up, kind of everything from scratch. And to some extent, when you over-personalize, if you get too much information about that person, it can feel a little creepy. But, you know, those are just assumptions. There's probably a lot of reasons for it. And I think the 20% rule works because if you can kind of find some templates and some systems that work and then you tweak them, it's better than recreating the wheel every single time you write an email.
1: That's really true. And I think there has to be some analysis right now of the ICP. I'm curious your thoughts because then even if it's personal and it's relevant, but if you don't understand their business condition... And you really can't help them, then it's just this weirdly like friendly but salesy thing. And so I think people are forgetting not to be overly salesy.
2: Yep. Uh, well, there's a balance, you know. You have to. I mean, because I have a, a co-author on a book that's not not written yet. Going to get there. I love it. It's called Predictable Closing. Some some point. And he said, "It's Ali Mirza, great guy." And I'm going to paraphrase his quote: "Was it sales today? Salespeople have become weak." So, okay, it's a bit of an extreme statement, but in the past, it was all kind of Glenn, the, the stereotype is Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing, say whatever you need to say to close the deal. And then over the, over the decades, we've gone towards, are you interested in what I've got to say? And really there's some balance and confidence, which is, I know people like you have this problem. Do you have it? If you have it, great. If you don't have it, I'll move on. So I think it's this balance where you want to be confident in having an offer and asking for the business, but yeah, not pushy, but also not afraid to even ask for the business in some, or ask for the next step.
1: I think that's a really important point. And how do we coach out that? Like I've met folks that are just excited about all the tech stacks because they can kind of just sit behind the computer and they don't actually have to make a call or get rejected. It's like, yes, this era of non-rejected, I'm just going to deploy my code <laughs> and my sequencers. And then I don't have to feel the pain right? I could just see the opt-outs and it's not really as personal as like directly writing and, you know, I've got one shot to get to Aaron Ross and oops, like I joke, I, I would email the CMO of this telco and from every company just within 10 seconds goes remove. I'm like, is this a program he wrote <laughs> to remove all vendors? But it stings, but at least you know where you stand.
2: <laughs> so yeah, and I think that's oh, what we're ahead. all finding this, you know, things with all these spectrums now, you're just finding kind of that balance for your business. How much technology is the right amount? How much personalization is the right amount? How kind of soft or, or hard the, is the call to action of the sales style? And you know, I don't I,
1: think there's a magic bullet because the seeking is there's this seeking of like, okay, you know, I'm going to apply this method and that's going to work or this method. It, I mean, can you talk with me about? how this has evolved like in the past 10 years since predictable revenue, it's uh there still seems to be that seeking for that one system. That's
2: going to crack it all. <laughs> well, but that's what people are looking for in life. You know, they want the silver bullet. Like, can I just take what's, what's the pill I can take to lose weight or what's the the diet I can use to fix money or what's like the magic predictable revenue system I can. So I never have to worry about money again. I mean, humans are seeking safety creatures. That's why, the dream around, if I just find the right person to marry, then I'll be safe. I won't have to worry about it again, which isn't true. If I just have enough money, then I'll be safe. I won't have to worry about money again. Again, not true. So it's different than we're seeking kind of adventure and learning. But in this case, you know, a lot of the predictable revenue system, even from 10 years ago, like outbound was seen as not a magic bullet. But yeah, if we just do outbound, it became popular again. Because for a long time, inbound was... You know, the thing, and it still is the thing, but there's a lot of messaging from people doing inbound that outbound is bad. You don't want to interrupt people. Cold calling is bad. Cold email is bad. It's not true. I mean, you can do it in ineffective or rude ways, but it's like saying sales is bad. It's not true. You can sell in manipulative ways, but you don't have to. There's a lot of people who don't want to sell. Great. But a lot of people who don't want to sell because not because they're afraid of selling. Like you said they want to sit behind the computer and just collect money. Nothing wrong with that, but I think what I would encourage first is one thing I've learned since Predictable Revenue came out, and even before that, is sales really is a life skill. You can kind of decide, hey, do I how sales do want, how much do I want to know sales or not, and you should make a conscious choice around that. How much do I want to do outbound or not? But if you want to accomplish anything in life, whether you want to raise money for a nonprofit or get a, a promotion or again grow a company, then you need to learn how to sell yourself or an idea or a product. So I think the skill. Of sale in the last, some big changes the last 10 years. There's so much more information and options. So overwhelm is bigger than ever. So you need to be more, again, like I mentioned, targeted than ever, more personal or human than ever. And you need to learn your tech, your, your revenue techniques, your sales techniques have to be better just because, and like if everyone's doing outbound, you need to be better. If everyone's doing inbound, you need to be better to stand out.
1: That's so helpful. I've noticed a renaissance on online learning, especially now in the crisis and people going to take courses online. And I could list a lot of them too, but if it were super easy, we wouldn't all make these great commissions, right? So what are some of the ways I've seen some of your videos where you're talking about take the next step and you're actually now digging into the core of human learning. I feel there seems to be like a subtext of some of your current work. Mm -hmm. You talk to us about that and just, you know, help coach us on how we can upscale upscale, (laughs) upskill in the pandemic and uh take this step on something that is holding us back.
2: Yeah, well I think the pandemic in you know, some of the panic has gone down, but there's still a lot there. And I think realizing that there's never been more disruption, which means there's never been more change, there's never been more opportunity for for businesses and for people. It may not feel that way right now. It may not feel good for for a lot of people it doesn't feel good. Jobs lost, businesses lost. May feel hopeless. But when we look back next year, a few years, this will be like the year of the most entrepreneurial creativity ever, because people are forced to do it, kind of kicking and screaming. Everyone's adapting one way or another, the business level, personal level, kids level, schools. Like that's there's still no good answer with schools. So, a lot of this and a lot of success in sales is having the a reason to do something new, whether you want to or not. And be a lot of people being forced into things. That's fine. And kind of going and learn how to go with the flow and not, and being okay, learning to be okay with not having a predictable future and still leaning into that and knowing that you're going to be okay at some point, you know? So again, whether you're starting a business or like, you're going to be okay, you may have to do things that don't feel good, whether it's different, whether it's like budgets or having kids at home, which homeschooling, which is challenging or remote learning, which again, challenging, taking a new job. Like maybe you're an entrepreneur who never had to sell before, but now you have to or you had to fire someone and you hadn't done that. Like there's all kinds of disruption that we're going through, but it's going to come out. We're going to come out in a, a stronger place. In the impossible book, there's a section called the year of hell. Everyone has a year of hell, right now more people than ever having the same year of hell. But right. if you lean into it, like you said, if you or how do you invest in your business to make it better? How do you invest in yourself to make it better? And you realize it could take, you know, a year or two. You can come out of this on a, on a, a much stronger place. So I think a lot like going back to first step, realizing there's a ton of opportunity right now, whether it feels like it or not.
1: You've been an amazing entrepreneur. You came out of Salesforce and built this engine there and then really inspired countless companies to adopt this model, which has been very effective and become the model. And I think we're just seeing evolutions of that model for people now who are going to take the leap into the abyss, I think you just touched on it, but they want to write a book or start a blog or become a brand. But they're just thinking like, I'm a rep or like, I haven't done what Aaron's done. Like, what is your counsel sure. to those folks? Because A lot of people are inspired now and do have some extra time or they they want to go out there, but they're kind of like, oh, I couldn't do it now. Is Is there some paradox happening there?
2: Well, okay, so that happens to I think can happen to anyone. Like that happens to me to some extent or a lot to extent because let's say that a few months ago I was like, Well, I really want to try doing some fiction fiction writing. Wow, you know, I don't I don't know how to write a story. Like a novel or a, a short story, like everything you know, uh, would people want to read that? How would I do that? I don't know. Would my story you know, all of these the same exact same thoughts that anyone else is feeling? So everyone, just because you get to my level or, you know, someone else's level, whatever that means, doesn't really mean anything. It just doesn't mean that you, that goes away. But what I do see is I recognize it more often, more quickly. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I honestly have a lot to juggle, right? We have a lot of kids and there's a business. I could make the time to write. I choose not to. I don't know. There's probably some personal development thing there. So I think first is just like, look. If it's something that feels you're interested in doing, you've thought about it for a while, it's come and gone. It might be some kind of book. It might be painting. It might be writing music. So like, hey, is this something that I feel like I really want to do? And then as much as you can, take little steps every day or as much as you can. And realize you're going to fall off the wagon and on the wagon until you build a little more confidence. That probably the best thing you can do to start is tell someone else about it. Like start talking to people about it, even if you don't do anything. I just told you I'm interested in fiction writing. Okay, that's a good little step. It kind of reminds myself that I forgot about it for a while. Um, I did write a little story. I've done some like baby steps. One baby step was I, I would tell made up stories at night. Like, well, the kids always want tell us a made up story. I, oh, I got to make up a story, which is fine. But I'm like tired, and so I was like, there are all these little practice steps you can realize that you actually are might be taking on the on the on the way towards being ready to make progress on that project. And that we don't appreciate because we think of, well, if I'm going to write a book, I, I got to sit down, and, like write a book. So to me, it's like, talk, talk to people about it, what you want to do, listen to yourself and take really small steps. It's been real. It's okay to take really small steps. Well, small, if you want to do a book, sit down and write out a some, just some ideas of titles or in other ways, like write out a list of people you'd want to interview for it or like, that's a great step. So baby steps when they add up. Like big castles are made of little little bricks and baby steps are magic. I love Don't that. Don't judge yourself for taking baby steps. Yeah, a journey
1: of a thousand yeah. miles starts with a single step. So as the show's beyond sales development, which is funny and satirical in a way, because every time I go into bed bath and beyond in the old days, like, well, what's the beyond really? But where is it all going? You mentioned the beginning like a classic, like human. It's becoming more human. And it's weird if 70% of what you know, sales development reps. And I also believe that XDRs are part of all sales jobs now being able to crack the top funnel. So, but I'm interested in your book of the predictable closing because that's a huge problem. But I think you're an inspiration for the entire space. People want to get to your level and then you're super humble about that too. But just like a great sports star or someone achieves something, people want to figure out, you know, utility of how they can go from where they are now and approaching where you are, but also making sure that they're being careful of the new technology climates. Like, is I is AI going to take my job? What should people really be doing with their time to become better and to go in a direction of excellence at, you know, cracking open new business and becoming a seller of the future?
2: Yeah, the- you know, true. It's really hard to envision the current salespeople being obsoleted. I that's I just don't see that. What I do see for a lot of jobs is the skill level has to to grow, right? So. A few years ago, you could probably just copy email templates off the web, paste them into your email, whatever your email system was, and send them in, they could work. It doesn't really work as much anymore because of all the noise. So now, just because Outreach sends, or a sales loft, or whatever your sequencer can do, can send hundreds of emails, well, everyone does. So the problem is not the mechanics of sending emails and following up. The problem is how do you craft messaging that works? And other, rela- like time management, messaging discovery so it's the and I know you may have higher level skills different skills but we still need as many xdrs probably more but the level of education needs to go up the level of talent that needs to go up when the manual things are automated
1: do you see a situation where certain tech companies could run like xdr x machina where basically whole areas of the very top demand gen funnel could be happening in a machine era and
2: I'm casting way out like 2035, yeah. 2050, or is I that mean, still? Probably, <laughs> I, you know, probably, but, the, but it's for a lot the thing is for a lot of B2B, you know, in consumer-ish stuff, that's more cut and paste. Yeah. The problem with b- business to business, a lot of times the, so yeah, a lot of parts probably could be, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in 20 years? Like it's impossible. I, I don't even know. I wouldn't even try to predict it, but there's still this need for and it'll evolve like for humans to be working with humans. So ultimately, like buyers and sellers are just trying to find like a good fit. And sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's harder. So, you know, the thing is, the need for salespeople is not going to go away. Like, they probably be, but then the sales skill, whether you call them salespeople or not, the sales skill is going to actually grow larger, be more in demand across more industries because it's a way you're talking to customers. So, it's like a lot of uh, the, it's like kind of coding. If you don't, if you could have a, a no code system, you don't need to do a lot of the manual coding stuff, right? That takes great, but you still have to do all the design and process design and like thinking stuff. That's going to be the same thing in sales. So, you know, order taking, um, website chatting, some basic stuff will get more and more, but there's still gonna be higher level thinking skills. So more people need to be in sales, having more thinking is where we're going to end up is my bet. I love, the, love the, that. The automation The obsolete's current steps.
1: Yeah. So I'm also curious, you see a lot from your vantage. What are you most excited about? It could be technology, startups. I mean, you've been in the game and been relevant since the book was released. I can't think of a sales team I've been a part of in the past 10 years where predictable revenue has not come up as something to read, hmm. study. So, I mean, that's such a win but what inspires you? Like, it sounds like you have some new things you're writing, you're working on. What can you share with the listeners here? It's less of like a, a shameless promotional plug, but in a way, like what gets you excited? <laughs> it would yeah. this context. Cause that's sort of the, the narrow focus here. I know there's many extracurricular. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, that's a good question because, you know, there's a lot of times and I've gone through periods where I'm like, I really, I, what is exciting? I don't I'm not excited by anything right now. And then it comes and goes. So, I'm excited by, there's some things I'm, I'm starting to work on, think about around kind of like a portfolio approach to companies, like a sales operating system. And there's a company in Brazil I'm joining that's going to acquire, you know, 30 SaaS company, um, join the board and they're going to acquire a few dozen SaaS companies in a roll up, but not combine them into one company. But so if you had to be, if you were the CEO or chief revenue officer and you had 30 SaaS companies that you had to kind of monitor and maintain, how would you do that? So that's an interesting. That was like an example, interesting one. Of course, there's lots of family. We have nine kids and so there's all kinds of, and we just moved to the UK. So there's all kinds of interesting stuff in the family and a lot of tedious stuff. I mean, running a big family, it's just, there's so many, I had to take the dog to the vet this morning. There's just so much of that. that gets, but, and then not, maybe not right now, but going back to the site of unique genius, which is that everyone has some value to offer, has a unique genius and a way to express themselves that is meaningful and inspiring to other people. In a way they can help their career as well. Make money or build an audience. How do you help people discover that and develop that into something that can help, you know, empower their career? You know, like the biggest missed opportunity for companies typically is because, is that the founder or CEO or key C level person or people are not in the marketing or branding enough, right? And there's a lot of reasons for that. They're too busy, not sure what to say, shy. So many reasons why. But that's probably the biggest, obvious missed opportunity. So what if you could get those CEOs or founders into the branding or messaging in a way that they were clear and confident and comfortable with social media or the blog? Is honestly not enough too. do. So there's something there. Not sure exactly how I want to where I want to take it, but just helping people achieve more of their potential.
1: I love that term unique genius because... I find that, and I don't know where I picked this up, there's like talents and gifts. And sometimes people's talent is like, they have to apply a lot of challenge and effort. It doesn't come as natural and they gravitate, oh, this is hard. I'm going to work this for 20 years. But they have this other gift that's just like a duck to water, like literally a unique genius and they miss it because it's a little easy. Now, if they were to take their unique genius and then push on it hard enough and make it challenging, they could become truly great i just uh, obviously i watched the michael jordan documentary the last dance (laughs) about the bulls playoffs and there's so many incredible lessons coming from that but uh
2: like uh, what's one of them i didn't watch that so
1: well it was just really interesting to see the level of like intensity that michael jordan was practicing at even like after five championships in a row like he's he's early to the practice he's pushing his you know Colleagues on the team to be better. He's in the gym. I mean, it's just really interesting.
2: Huh. Yeah, that's not me.
1: Because, well, that's that was that was his. <laughs> I mean, that's not me. I'm not Michael Jordan, though. No. <laughs> well, in in some ways, that might be what uh Michael Jordan would say. You know, he was very humble in the interviews too. So, I think people see you as synonymous with like how elevated someone could approach the opening career advancement track. I talk to SDRs all the time. And they really just want to become AEs. Do you think there's going to be a progression where there's more opening
2: advancement paths? Um, you know, I did a webinar a few months back with Colin Cadmus and the title of it was the SDR Model's broken. And his, his position was they really need, and, the, and he was in a very competitive market, kind of unified communications when he was at Aircall and he's, he's now doing consulting. His position was, it took them, you know, nine to 12 months to ramp up an SDR uh, again, a busy niche a lot of competitors hard to differentiate et cetera, et cetera, and you should really have two tracks an AE track that's separate from a parallel SDR track and give them more opportunities within the, so basically a runway to be an SDR for like three years and I could see that for some industries and I think where we're going to is a lot more variety like we're just going to this more spectrums so think about the the gender spectrum the you know sexuality spectrum it used to be, were you, were you straight or gay, and now you can have two hundred. You know, there's like a whole spectrum. Were you male or female? You Get a whole spectrum. We're going. The pandemic has created a work spectrum. Are, were you at ho- working from home, or were you in the office? Well, now you can have a little bit of everything. SDRs mean the same thing. There'll be uh, so many varieties of SDR. Whether you are kind of like long career, longer career tracks or shorter, or like more outbound versus like midbound or inbound, there should be a lot more variety as the world goes on. So again, it's not so much, is it going to go one way or the other? It's, there's going to be more of everything, more variety is really the answer. And I think a lot of it's finding that point on the spectrum that fits you or your business or your market. So if I'm a, a company and I sell to like enterprise going kind to of B2B, I'm going to have one style SDR that kind of fits that. And that might be very different than if I'm selling to, again, like in a commoditized market with a niche, I might not even have SDRs or maybe I need to do all kind of like LinkedIn based or social based SDR work. So variety is the name of the game and just like an explosion of everything that works. And going back to overwhelm. Everyone gets is caught up already in this. Like, I can't tell what's, what do I do? Like, there's just too much stuff. So that's just kind of a separate area. One other thing that's exciting with predictable revenue.com, our business is for me, like how to create more of an open self-managing team. We already have 50 something people. And how do we kind of stand top of all the changes in the market? Because they're just going to keep speeding up.
1: Yeah, you uh, threw a softball here for a couple areas. So after you know hundreds of hours of looking at it, which is a fraction of what you've spent, because you've been very dedicated to this since the book in 2011. But there's two things that kept coming up with everyone I interviewed, including you, is subspecialization. So the money ball effect, yeah. like having a, an SDR that just does social media or an SDR that just does replies. And yeah, so subspecialization... Uh, well, that was a good, that would be a good one to talk about. Actually. Or hyper specialization. Yeah, hyper, whatever yeah. you want to call it. And then this, yeah, so there's the, the money vault effect. And the second is converge systems. Because if once we get to like a $1,000 per head per month of stack, some new vendors have to come along and converge it and say, well, this is a dialer and a data and a sequencer. Yeah, you it's can't already happening. Yeah. The CFO is going to say, wait, I, I can't buy Marjorie 26 tech stacks so she can start her job, right? So I think. Right. So can you like very quickly touch on these two themes? If you like these themes, these seem to come up a lot. I love your take.
2: Well, I think quickly the specialization one, I feel like a lot of people missed, I think even the bigger, the bigger idea in predictable revenue that doesn't really get talked about that much, which is more important, a bigger deal than outbound, which is the sales specialization. That's really the foundation for a high performing sales team. And I know in Silicon Valley, it's so common now to have specialized sales teams that you take it for granted. Most people in the world don't. And what that means is, again, prospectors, you prospect, Closes you close. If you have inbound leads and inbound response person, people, and separate from account management, customer success, just the way you could, It's like a sports team. You know, you got attackers and midfield defenders, goalie. The way the team, you know, depending on the sport, depending on the business, you might change that, but everyone has their specialty. So that is something that's going to can also continue, have more of a spectrum. Um, and again, Andy Paul from had a great point. I was like, gosh, I should have thought of this. He said that man- managers should specialize more. Like we expect a VP of sales to be able to do it all. Coach, manage metrics, da, da, da. It's like, you know, you really need to have management specialties where you have like a call coach and you've got an email coach and you've got a, this coach and that coach. Maybe they're not your company. You bring them in, but there's just too many things that you, you can't stay on top of it all. So that specialization is going to be, again, another big trend. Continue on. And the, uh, The last one you mentioned on convergence, it's always a thing, you know, people build more apps and then someone else combines them into one platform and then there's more apps and you combine them. So the danger is, it's not the danger, it's just the overwhelm of there's so many apps and there's going to be so much change. People, it's sometimes hard to feel confident in what you're doing because there's always something better no matter what you do and something or something that might sound better. So the grass is greener is just going to be another dangerous temptation as we go on all the everyone not only getting better at building apps, but making promises that whether they're, tr- they're true or not.
1: That's so true. The difference between real AI and the fake AI automation, it's it's hard to know. We've gotten close here to the half hour, and I just like to give each guest a chance to just really just straight up promote what they're working on. Someone love this. Where can we get more of like Aaron now up to date, what you're working on now that's going to help us yep. those development function? Yeah, we'll definitely,
2: I'd start with if you haven't read the sequel to Predictable Revenue. The, the book Impossible to Inevitable it was also rated one of the the eighth best startup book ever. That's, uh, you could Google it, but from impossible.com. And then separately, business-wise, everything else, com, the best place to start.
1: It's awesome, Aaron. It's been an honor to have you on the show. Definitely influenced even the existence of the show and my work. So I'm grateful that you came on today. And I hope a lot of folks, uh, you know, go hit your site and interact with you on LinkedIn.
2: Yep. yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Justin.
1: Thanks again.